talking to yourself inside of your heads is considered crazy yes. in a lot of uh, <laughs> and that's effectively a definition of insanity you know one of the best pieces of advice i ever got was think on paper you know literally right, right. here i love that you know, think on, on my keyboard no it, it's absolutely true right think on paper from the Australian Writers' Centre and you're listening to my friend Ash Roy on ProductiveInsights.com. Welcome to the Productive Insights Podcast where you can learn how to systemize, automate and scale your business via the internet. To access previous episodes and useful productivity tips, go to www.ProductiveInsights.com. Now, here's your host, Ash Roy. So, welcome to part two of this three-part series with Ed Dale. If you haven't listened to part one of the series, I strongly recommend you go back and have a listen to that. At the end of part one, Ed left us with a little bit of a cliffhanger. He said, here's the thing. Now, in this part, he completes that thought. He talks about the thing. But before we get into the episode, I just wanted to mention that I talk about a couple of other podcast episodes in this conversation, and they are the episodes with Rand Fishkin, which is number 38, on how to create awesome content to position yourself as well as possible from an SEO perspective. And episode number 41 with Eric Enger, the founder of Stone Temple Consulting, where we talk about mobile Geddon. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. And if you want to check out those other episodes, they will be in the show notes in all three parts of this series on the website. Now, if you want to check out some more copywriting related content, then as I mentioned in part one, you might also want to check out a few other episodes. Episode three with John Morrow, where he talks a lot about how to use blogging to build a highly successful business, but he also touches on some very important copywriting concepts. Episode number nine with Kevin Rogers, the comedian turned copywriter, that was pretty hilarious. That was called Blind Man Driving. And then episode number 61, when I had Kevin Rogers back on the show, where we talked about why attention is a new currency. Another great episode on some copywriting hacks. You also want to check out episode number 47 with Demian Farnworth from Copyblogger, where we talked about web copywriting and how to create content on your website to maximize your conversions. In other words, to turn your website browsers into repeat customers. And if you want to check out any of the show notes for any of these episodes, just go to ProductiveInsights.com and type in the name of the guest and it should bring up the episode. So if you're looking for the Kevin Rogers episodes, just go to ProductiveInsights.com and then in the search bar, type in Kevin Rogers and it should bring up all the episodes with Kevin. Alternatively, you can just type in ProductiveInsights.com Kevin Rogers into Google and that should bring it up too. If you want to access this whole interview, including all the show notes on the Productive Insights podcast, just head over to ProductiveInsights.com forward slash Ed hyphen Dale, that's spelled E-D hyphen D-A-L-E. And just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by the Productive Insights Done For You podcast launch service, which positions you as a leading authority in your market and successfully turns listeners into high value customers. Book a call with me on callashroy.com to discuss how we can get started. And now here's part two of this three-part series with Ed Dale. And so here's the thing. Everybody should write this down, watching or listening. You should write this down. You can only be right or wrong in hindsight. Yes. 
you can only be right or wrong in hindsight. I wish I could credit who I read that from, but just that smacked me right in the face. Yeah, and this is a big problem for entrepreneurs. This is a really big, and remember that thirty-five percent. I said the yeah. the right. This is a huge deal for them because you give somebody like that a process, and they will execute that process, right? Because they know here is a proven process. I'm just going to execute that process and deliver it, right? But when it becomes a marketing experiment where you don't know what the result is going to be, there's severe hesitation because I don't know whether it's going to be right or wrong. I don't want to waste my time. Mm. Trouble is, you don't know until you test it. And this goes for copy. This goes for now in the old days of copy, you know, when Gary was doing and doing direct mail pieces, it was insanely expensive. Mm. Once they did that thousand, you know, they would test in a thousand direct mail lots. So whatever a thousand times 20 cents is for the, for the actual mail, they physically mail. And then the results of that, like the feedback loop was potentially a month, yes. six weeks. Yes. Right, between a newspaper copy ad or a direct mail copy ad, all those sorts of things. So what did they do in that circumstance? What they did is the editing process became the process of many iterations. So it would involve getting feedback from fellow copywriters. So it would, you know, Gary was famous for picking up the phone and you wouldn't hear anything. All you'd hear is listen to this. <laughs> and then he then he would read out yeah. a sixteen page sales letter and wouldn't break for a word and say, what do you think, <laughs> right? That would be the phone call, yeah. right? So because in no, this is pre-email, right? Yeah. So that was the only way, pre-fax. Mm. That's how, how you would do it. Now we've got these amazing feedback loops, right? Within seconds. So here's the thing. As soon as you introduce, isn't quality important, Ed? Yes, quality is important. There's private drafts and public drafts. The first Good draft point. of anything you should do yes. is, you know, we call it the vomit draft. Yes, yes, right? yes. And it's often called that in screenwriting. You know, just vomit up a draft. Yep. And you look at the pros, you look at the pros who deliver, they all have this vomit draft, yep. which they know is going to suck. It's going to be awful. And you give yourself permission for that blog post, that podcast, that whatever it is to be awful yep. for it to suck. But it's only going to be for you. But here's the thing. It never fails, never fails. If you truly commit to delivering that draft, delivering that blog post, mm -hmm. delivering that script, in that script are the gems, the little diamonds yes. that will ultimately become the stuff that is the quality and is the stuff that you are known for. The problem is, my worry is when you say quality is important, is a lot of people listening to this, how do you get to be good at something? You put out a lot of crap, yes. and eventually you get better. That's the only path. So maybe right? the uh, what I should have said is quantity is important when you're first uh, doing it, the drafts that you Absolutely. see for yourself. Yes, go for quantity. D that doesn't mean you put it all out there. You just put mm. the quality out there, but you need quantity to get to quality. Yeah, but here's the thing. You don't know what quantity. Here's the problem. All right, this is where I want to just maybe change that slightly. Yep, sure. You don't know what quality is. Yes, because your audience tells I, you. Because this is the what gets picked up and what gets shared. People fear um, fear intensely putting something out into that because they don't want to be wrong. And it's yes. not your fault because how many times as school kids or our entire education system is based on whatever you submit must be yes. 
Yes. Right? So that's ingrained in all of our education systems. Anybody listening to this, right? This is ingrained in you. Mm. The trick with professional writers, professional musicians, professional content creators, any kind, is they got over that. And they realized that I have to put stuff out into the marketplace. And that did by the, because if you just write stuff to yourself and it never sees the light of day, well, if the tree falls in the forest and nobody hears yeah. the tree falling, did it really fall? Yes. Right? You've got to get in the field of play. Hmm. And you've just got to allow yourself to. So that's why I don't like putting in any judgment calls of whether you think something is good enough or not. Because most people, when they look at their own stuff, think it's crap. They've got mm. that voice in their head, that little, as Stephen Pressfield in The War of Art would put it, it's the resistance, yes. right? And that resistance will keep telling you it's crap, it's crap, don't send it to anybody, don't put it out there. Whereas just putting it out in a blog or starting a YouTube channel, starting, nobody's going to listen to it. Get You have tickets on yourself. <laughs> and seriously, just shove a few out there. Yeah. And, See and, what happens. Know, See what happens, right? So a lot of the learning happens not in here but out there. That's some I'm hearing in what you're saying, and that is something I can't hear enough of because I'm guilty of this too. I feel very anxious about putting content out there because I don't want it to be annoying or received poorly. But at the end of the day, you're not going to learn everything in your head. It happens out there in interaction with the world. That's absolutely true. In fact, it's the only way to get real feedback. You know, talking to yourself inside of your heads is considered crazy yes. in a lot of uh, – and that's effectively a definition of insanity. You know, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was think on paper. You know, literally right, right. here. I love that. You know, think on, on my keyboard. No, it, it's absolutely true, right? Think on paper. I'm the biggest tech geek there is, but all of my planning, all of my creation, all of anything starts of outlines, anything happens on paper because our brain is incredibly good at coming up with stuff, but it's also incredibly good at looping. And that loop, and, and we're particularly good at negative looping. In other words, we just get it into our head that something sucks and then we find more information because our brain's great at making associations. So it, it just gives you more and more reasons to say why this sucks. It's a, it's, this is not woo-woo. This is not some new age stuff. This is science, yeah. right? Whereas if you force yourself on paper, and this is where a constraint is important. So the very first, before I create any piece, script, video, copy piece, anything, I will set my good old timer over here for 10 minutes yep. and I will just bleh, brain dump, yep. you know, uh, free writing exercises, people are familiar with that as, as a concept. Mm. But that's my first, anything, anytime I'm thinking of anything, a new product or anything, that's the first job I do. And here's the rule, right? Very Two simple rules. One is you go for the whole 10 minutes and you never stop writing. Okay. You must Right, you cannot lift the pen from the paper. Wow. And you may find yourself going, I'm out of ideas. This sucks. Write down. I'm, I'm out, out of, of ideas. ideas. Yes. <laughs> this sucks. Ed Dale, I really want to find where he lives and baseball batting. <laughs> this is a stupid thing. But here's the deal. If your brain realizes, oh, okay, he's actually committed to this for the 10 minutes. I can't talk. Guess what? You will always get it. I get here's my guarantee to everybody listening and watching here. Every time you do this exercise, you will get a revelation. You will get a gem. Wow. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Okay, question, Ed. Do you physically handwrite the stuff? Because I find handwriting somehow works better than typing, and I can't help but wonder how that will work for the next generation who don't handwrite as much. But Okay, well, the science is in, right? The great book by uh, Professor John Medina, Brain Rules. Yep. You're absolutely right. This could change. But for anybody who is... 
20 or above, okay. your formative years were spent writing pen and paper. Yep. Okay, and it's without. And Halbert used to drill this into me all those years ago. So he he would never type his copy. He would always right. handwrite and then have it typed. Because that's what I've found. This is really good to hear this because well, the science is in. There is no doubt that that hand eye brain coordination of handwriting because that when it, we were at our most formative creative years through education our neural pathways were built on that creativity connection right it may well be because my uh, youngest annabelle who's nine mm-hmm. she goes to a school which is full ipad she's been on an ipad since grade four so i wonder if this will you're absolutely right will this hold but seriously, if you're 20 or above, mm. this applies to you. Handwriting will give you better creative results than typing. And by the way, you know what? I got the iPad Pro and I got that pencil. And mm. you know what? I handwrite on the iPad. And the reason I like doing it on that yes. is because I can take photos of that stuff and I can just email it to myself or snapshots or yep. screenshots or whatever. And that way I have the benefit of handwriting, but I also have the benefit of accessing it via Dropbox or wherever I want. Totally, you can absolutely do that. What I do just for is I use Scan Snap on the on the phone yep. and pop it into OneNote, right? So you've got all sorts of yeah. So you can easily digitize it. But what I also it's funny because this is just my type of entrepreneur. Sixty five percent of people listening to this podcast will never look back at those notes. They're only useful in the time that you created them. Right. You'll, you might archive them, but you'll never look at them. Whereas 30% of people listening to this will be horrified at what I just said and <laughs> saying, hey, are you serious? I look at this stuff all the time. I really enjoy it. It's There are different types of entrepreneurs. There's about three different styles and each to your style. But yeah. Which but style are you? But that's okay. It's cool. You don't need to. Yeah. Right? It does, but it's very important in the moment to do do it as notes because the main reason is crucial. So the act of writing. Right. It's crucial in terms of the – and, again, this is science. This is not my hunch. Halbert always used to preach this, but he had no science to back, yeah. back him up. Yeah. Now the science is incontrovertible, is that as you hand – just a just a little side note, just to emphasize the point. I had this hunch with pro bloggers, hmm. you know, because I really admire these people who can bang out, you know, big long blog posts every day. I just can't. It's just not in me to do it. Hmm. And I had a hunch, so I wrote to all of the the pro bloggers that I admire, and I, just quick question, and I just said, "Hey, can you tell me if you touch type, and if you do, what's your uh, typing speed?" Guess what? Every single one of them yeah. can A, touch type, and the minimum that they can touch type is 60 words a minute. Right. Right? So guess what? They can type as fast as they think. Yes. Most people can't. Right. So what happens when you're typing on your board is there is a mechanical process that's occurring in your brain, which is I have to press the A key, I have to press the S key. It's not subconscious, it's conscious. Guess what? That's breaking you out of your flow every time you're typing, whereas if you're writing, you're not even thinking. So I can touch type. Does that mean I can use either medium? Does that mean that because... No, I think you'll still do, you know, test it for yourself, but I think you will find that particularly when you're doing creative stuff like your 10 minutes yeah. uh, free writing and stuff like that, I think you'll find handwriting will be more... Yeah, effective. there's something more cathartic, isn't it, about handwriting. There's something transformative and visceral about it that you don't have from typing. Yeah, and it's just the way our brain works. You know, and as I say, it might change. Yeah. 
uh, with the you know, super young generations who all their you know their iPad up. Yeah. And by the way, iPad Pro writing on the pencil that counts as writing because it's that physical. Yes. Action. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Mm. Wow. Well, well, we've talked about so many things. We've talked about, you know, normally I follow a fairly structured approach, but this is fantastic. This is just, you know, freewheeling. I really love this. Do you have any um, case studies or, or stories you can share with us about, you know, writing and how that has transformed a business? Or, you know, I'm sure you've worked with a lot of people with a challenge, for example. Mm. The thing about understanding copy you know, and under, understanding that sales process is I've often said, you know, if there's one business thing that you can learn, it's the process of writing good copy. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, in you know, we say writing good copy, in other words, something that people will read. Mm-hmm. But really in today's day and age, that means scripting a video, right? It means doing a great PowerPoint presentation. Yes. It means persuasion in all its forms. But here's the thing, you can't persuade. And as soon as I use the word persuasion, I reckon for most people listening to it, just watching, they just had a negative connotation to that word, right? It's a negative reaction. And you just, yeah, you're persuading to trick or to deceive, like I said, in this day and age, that's a complete waste. Hmm. You used to be able to get away with it, but now you can't, right? Because everything's reviewed. Everything is, you know, you are subject to reviews, whether you think you're in an industry where you are subject to reviews or you're not, right? Hmm. People will find out. So you can't do that. So it's about, you know, it's about persuading. And I suppose the thing, if there's an anecdote, I think the anecdote is how many amazing niches there are that people are making decent living, you know, making that $100,000 a year from, you know, everything from gypsy jazz guitar to dog parks of America to, we mentioned pottery valuation. Yes. That's a great niche, right? Wow. There are people teaching people how to evaluate and value pottery. Wow. It's fantastic. And I suppose the best thing about the challenge is that, you know, uh, particularly from my neck of the woods where you know, a lot of sales and you, you, everybody will have seen this, you know, oh, I made a million dollars today or, mm. you know, wow, look at me. Here's my fancy boat and here's my amazing house and here's my, you know, great car. And it's all, and make no mistake, it's true, right? It's absolutely true. But I suppose I come from the perspective where I love helping people out is I think that can put a real negative connotation in people's heads because they really give their all for a couple of months. Mm. And guess what? They haven't made their million dollars. They haven't mm. even made $30,000 a month. They haven't made anything, in fact. But what you don't hear is the fact that, you know, for the first 12 months of anything, you know, just building to the point of, you know, making money, it's a 12-month, you know. It at is least. A, it's at least a 12-month commitment, if not a two-year commitment. And what I try to do to make people feel people better about that is I try to contrast that with becoming a doctor. You know, I think yes. in most Western societies, people, when they think about let's make big money and do it inside the system, so to speak, as opposed <laughs> to being an entrepreneur, it's becoming a medical doctor. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. The average in the United States that a first-year doctor, when they first come out of residency, right, is about $65,000 is what Mm. they earn. Yep. Okay. Now, in 10 years' time, they will be earning their 100 – I think the average is $169,000. Okay. Now, if they luck into being a surgeon or they end up owning surgeries, they can do a lot more, right? That's fantastic. Great. In most Western societies, for you to qualify to become a doctor, for you to get into that university degree, 
you haven't had a life from the age of 10, right? You've been tutored. You have been doing extracurricular study. You've been going to Saturday school. You've been going to summer schools. You don't have any sort of social life, right? Because basically, certainly, for example, you and I in Australia, the score that you need at the end, you have to be in that top 0.01% of the country to get into a course to become a doctor. I have seen firsthand what sort of effort they have to put in. And even after they make it, and by the way, they only start making a reasonable income when they're like in their mid-40s or early 40s, right? That's, it takes like 20 years of yeah. hard slogging right from when you get into your internship all the way through. Mm-hmm. And then, even then, they're still carrying a lot of risk because, you know, you can get sued. You can make mistakes. Just you are like not it. allowed to make mistakes. Yeah, the indemnity, and, and thank goodness there are people, right, that are that are, that are like, and, and so I contrast that, and I often joke to people when I'm speaking to the audience, look, here's the deal, pay me a half, and we haven't even mentioned how much they've paid in yes. tuition and fees yes. and college fees. And, and they get paid absolutely crap when they're, st- when yeah. they're training, and yeah, they get oh, treated like crap too in the hospital. Right. Like, so here's what I'm saying. Spend two years, yep. and I often joke, you know, send me $100,000 because that's half of what they're going to spend, yeah. and get yourself $100,000, which is – that's really super realistic. Yes. And to me, that's been the story of the challenge, right? That's been the story. Of the, like, And it's so wonderful to meet people when I speak at a conference and say, you know what, Ed, I got my start in the challenge. That turned me on to an online business. And, yeah. and that's awesome. That's why I started it. And, you know, and it continues to this day as a way of, of contributing, uh, I suppose, being thankful for what I've been able to do and mm. and, and be able to contribute back, you know. So, mm. so that to me is the – if there's a message, if you will, or if there's an anecdote or a story, it's that. It's, it's understanding that the time that you actually spent, you know, where you can contrast it to the most prestigious – and rightly so, you know, medical, you don't understand the sacrifice, the on-call. Oh, like, right? They don't have a personal life. They can't no. go out to see uh, friends on weekends because they've worked the whole, you know, Saturday night. And so the Sunday is shot. You yeah. know, the whole yeah. family has to go yeah. through it with them. So it's yeah. not, it's not an easy thing to do. And, yeah. and we, no one sees that, right? No one sees that. And, you know, the people talk about how everyone's an overnight success. And you talked about this comparing your chapter, you know, your first iteration to someone else's 15th iteration. Yeah. The thing is, it takes 10 years to become an overnight success. You know, it, it isn't easy to start a podcast. It isn't easy to, keep it going and consistently deliver and deliver value. But you know what? If you don't put effort into something, it usually isn't worthwhile anyway. If, if, it, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If someone's telling you you're going to make a million dollars in a year or even look, forget a year, most of them say it in a day or something ridiculous like that, they're just bullshitting you. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's true, but you haven't seen the two years they've spent building up the contacts and the yeah, JVs. Right. And- contribution and right and all the stuff to make that actually happen so what i'd like to you know what we try to do is we say hey look let's make a dollar you know and you know particularly with podcasters and you know, i'm doing a lot of work with podcasters and and youtubers and so on you know and i'm begging them say look yes it's awesome that you're publishing and you know they're great at publishing what they are not so great at is making valuable offers which is focus four of the six things you need to focus on in a business is making valuable offers. So, you know, you can earn an income. What are the six things, Ed? Can you talk us through those? 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, so <laughs> each one of these will start off a, uh, like a, a course, if you will. <laughs> but the, but the first one is market understanding, right? Yep. You've got to understand your market. The second one, which again, bloggers and podcasters and YouTube is a really good app, is you have to serve your market. So mm-hmm. you have to provide valuable information. And this is typically the free part. This is where things get off the rails, though. Third one is you must build a list. Yep. Must build a list, right? It's because, and when I say build a list, let me be really super clear an email list, right? Because right now, today, this may change in the future. But for now, and at least the next five years, if you want to have people send you money and sending them an email explaining why they should send you money because you're providing them a wonderful, incredibly valuable product or service requires email. Mm. And email gives you a chance to be proactive about the conversation because if someone lands on your website, 90-something percent of the time, they never come back. But if you capture the email address, then it at least gives you the control, of course, with permission, with the, when they've given you their email address in exchange for, a, for an opt-in, it gives you control of the conversation. And I love how Chris Garrett said it in, a, in one of the previous episodes where I interviewed him. He said, the conversation is already happening with or without you. The question is, do you want to be part of it? And email facilitates this. So yeah, absolutely. if you want to make offers, you need to have an email list. So the next one is get traffic. Yep. Right? Because if you can't get traffic to whatever you're doing, you may have the most awesome, you know, you might be giving incredible, just absolutely life-changing advice every single day. But if nobody sees it, you know, what use is it? So, so you, how do you have do that? to get traffic. Well, ultimately, there's two ways. You know, there's, well, three to be absolutely specific. There's organic traffic. Yep. So people refer you, social traffic, et cetera. The most reliable form of traffic is paid traffic. Mm-hmm. So through, through one of those mediums. And the third one, and I hesitate to even mention it uh, because it's effectively, I don't think it's attainable anymore, is search engine traffic. So SEO. And, uh, you know, and this is controversial. A lot of people listening to this won't agree. SEO for offense, in other words, SEO, you know, doing SEO to get traffic is no longer effective, right? That's my view. It's more content now, isn't it? Well, and that's the thing. You know, I I don't think SEO as a science is gone, but your ability to say, I'm going to target this keyword and I'm going to get number one of Google for this specific keyword is out of your control. Correct. In the old days, it used to be in your control, right? You could actually manufacture the circumstances to make that happen. Now, you have to just have weight of social media, weight of links, weight of everything. You can't manufacture that. You actually have to let the real world do that for you. I interviewed Rand Fishkin and Eric Enger about SEO, and they're both really good at it. And both of them talked about the importance of creating shareable content. With Eric Enger, it was more about mobile getting and being mobile responsive. But Rand said it multiple times in the episode, you have to create content that people want to share. And to me, that is what I took away from that about what SEO is today. It's about shareable content largely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I concur with that for sure. So that was part two of the three-part series with Ed Dale, the master copywriter who trained directly with the great Gary Halbert. In this second part, Ed talked about the first four of six areas of focus. Tune into part three to hear the last two of the six areas of focus that Ed referred to. I hope you're enjoying this series brought to you by the Productive Insights podcast launch service that helps you position yourself as an authority in your market 
and convert your listeners into repeat customers that take your business to the next level. If you'd like to launch your own podcast just like this one, book an appointment to speak with me on callashroy.com and we'll talk about getting you started. Thanks for listening to the Productive Insights Podcast. You can find all the links in the show notes below this episode on ProductiveInsights.com. You can also ask questions in the comments section that Ash personally answers. How can Ash help you today? 